Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff of Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Following was recorded on Sunday, May 1st, 2022. Today's message title, Where the Good News of Jesus Meets Community. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Um, do you guys want to stand with me briefly while we, while we read this together? All right. And yes, it'll be on the screen, I think. Maybe not, but... Um, Acts chapter two starting Acts chapter two starting in verse forty two says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Amen. You may be seated. So as I'm sure you're all well well aware of, by now we're going through a series uh, called Where the Good News of Jesus Meets X, whatever that is. And so today I have the privilege of preaching on where the good news of Jesus meets community. And so I'm excited to to bring this. I think there's obviously, there's a lot one could say about Christian community from the word of God. Um, There's, there are, I'm, I'm sure you'll be able to think of things while I'm preaching and you might wonder why is he not asking or talking about that? Um, Unfortunately, we only have so much time. So I'm, I'm really going to be focusing on kind of one element uh, as we go through uh, this passage. And before we do that, I'm going to set a timer because otherwise, again, who knows how long I'll go. So, yeah. Okay. So before we jump into the text, if you take nothing else from today, I want you to understand that God gave us the community of believers because the Christian life is not meant to be done alone or in isolation. Learn with Christianity is not biblical Christianity. God gave us each other as one of his many good gifts to us because life is hard. Things happen. Unexpected things happen. And to try and go through those things alone is horrendous. And we don't have we don't have the capacity to, to bear up under those burdens. I mean, Jesus, even when he was alone in the garden, I mean, he didn't, when his apostles, when his friends, when they abandoned him, he was all alone and, and he had God to cling to, but Jesus himself felt the very, the lack of the thing that we are created for. We are created for fellowship with both God and with one another. John and in, in first John, um, I'm going to paraphrase, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to paraphrase this, but essentially he says, you know, I, we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete and that you may have fellowship with us as we have fellowship with the father. And so the gospel is one, one aspect of the gospel is that we have been invited into fellowship with God, God who eternally enjoyed fellowship in the triune person, God, uh, persons, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. And we, when we sinned, we were removed from that fellowship. Suddenly there was a barrier between us and God. When we decided we wanted to serve self rather than worship God, that erected a barrier. And God could very easily have said, okay, your sin requires that I punish this and that I deal with this. And he would have been just and right. No one could have said anything against God if he had right there and then condemned us all to an eternity in hell. That's what our sin deserves. 
even if you were to live a perfect life and only sin once, you would have fallen short of the glory of God. But God, being rich in love and mercy, as Ephesians says, he sent Jesus to take that punishment that we deserve, to take that burden. And he died on the cross and was risen again after three days. And thereby God showing that the debt to sin has been paid. And so now we are covered by the blood of Jesus. Those of us who have surrendered our lives to him. Do you understand that you are a sinner, that there is nothing you can do, that you cannot contribute even one thousandth of a percent to your own salvation, but it is all completely 100% Jesus. Do you understand that if you've surrendered to that and if you've surrendered to Jesus as your Lord, as King of your life, then you're a Christian and you're covered by the blood of Jesus. And God gave us to each other because it's one of his many graces to us. And fellowship and love for one another is one of the many ways that the world sees that we are truly followers of Jesus. We see that before God created the world, that he was in perfect fellowship and harmony with himself. And now we as Christians have been invited into that fellowship. So let's dive into our text to Acts. And so verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so what I want to focus on today, what I want us to see is this concept of doing life together. Because like I said, lone wolf Christianity isn't, isn't biblical Christianity. And so we, the Christian life is meant to be done together. And I think that really goes against a lot of what we think in the West, like in, in Europe and in the United States and, and, and in North America, we're very individualistic people. We're self-made, we're independent. I work for my status, my money. I study so that I can get this degree. I do these things. We don't think of the people around us so much. We're self-made people, but Christianity doesn't, we're not self-made people. <laughs> we're first and foremost, very dependent on Jesus for our own salvation. We're dependent on God for the very breath in our lungs. And Christianity is meant to be lived out in community. Christianity is meant to be shown and displayed on display to the world with each other in the context of a local church. And so it says they devoted themselves to the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. One could say they devoted themselves to growing upwards into God, inwards with each other. And in verse 47, we see the outward effect. The Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. And so, and it, it's interesting. It says they devoted themselves to devote oneself to something means to allocate, to give, to spend most or all of your time and energy towards something. And so we see that the early church and the reason we're in this, when this verse, this is, I, if you've come through our membership, um, class and whatnot. And if you've been around us for a while, this, this is a passage that we cling to very dearly. This is something we aspire to. We want lost of to look like this in whatever way that makes sense for 21st century Iceland. We want this to be true of us. And we see that they devoted themselves, that they gave most of their time, energy, and resources to growing upwards into God. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and now we don't have apostles here, um, but the apostles teaching, we do have the apostles teaching in here. Our new Testament is the acts and teachings of Jesus and the acts and teachings of the apostles after Jesus sent them out. And so they devoted themselves to this. Of course, they didn't have this the way we have it, but they devoted themselves to this, to the word of God and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread, which we break bread every week and we celebrate communion. But I also think as, and I mean, I see this later in, in verse 46, I think they were also breaking bread together in their homes. They were enjoying meals together. There was community. Things were happening. And then of course they devoted themselves to prayer, 
prayer for one another, prayers for the world around them, for the city around them, for the country around them, for the nations around them. But they were first and foremost devoted to God. They were committed to growing upwards into God. And that leads to a point for us. If our relationship with God suffers, then our relationships with other people suffer as well. If our horizontal isn't right, our vertical is going to suffer. And so that needs to be first and foremost what we devote ourselves to. And you might be thinking, well, okay, if I devote myself to my relationship with God, I won't have time for anybody else. But part of your devotion to God, that spills over into your relationships with other people, be they your family, your friends, your coworkers, whomever God has put in your life. Having a right vertical relationship affects your horizontal relationships and in turn affects outward relationships outside of, of the church. And we see in verse 35 that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so they were taking care of one another. And this, of course, they're talking about physical needs here. And that's, of course, we want to do that. We want to meet each other's physical needs. We also have emotional needs. We have burdens that we carry. And we see this early church being attentive to one another, attentive to the needs that were around them. They, the only way to be attentive is to be in someone, someone else's life. How am I going to know what Christian needs if I never see him, if I never talk to him? How am I going to know what Kelvin needs if I'm never around him, if I never talk to him, if I don't pray for him, how am I going to know? I can't be attentive. He might one day tell me something and I'll be like, it'll catch me off guard because I just, I won't know. And so when they saw a need, they came together and they met it and they held their possessions. They held their time with an open hand. It was to be used in service for God and therefore in service to one another. And verses 46 and 47 say they were gathering together in homes and in the temple Break out with breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And it's interesting, they're so they're, they've devoted themselves to their upwards and their inwards relationships together. That's what they throw their time into. And this winds up being an incredibly effective evangelism strategy because the Lord blesses it. They were committed to each other. Their love for one another was so tangible and evident that people on the outside are starting to go, well, I want to be a part of that. That looks cool. I want to be loved like that. I want to be known like that. And I, you've probably heard Goodman say this many times. We don't have an evangelism strategy here. Our evangelism strategy is you. It's the people. Jesus told his disciples in the gospel of John that the world would know that they were his disciples by their love for one another. And this is the out, outworking of that. The world knows that they're Jesus's disciples by their love for one another. And that's how Iceland's going to know us. I pray. I pray that Iceland would know us by our love for one another. I pray that they would know us because they would know us as those, those weird Christians who are always willing to drop whatever it is to go help one another. They hold their time, their possessions, their talents, with open hands that we love one another because God first loved us. It's contagious. People want to be a part of that. In the world where everyone's looking for themselves, they're looking for self-discovery. They're looking for their own purpose. Well, being loved by God is the highest and ultimate of purposes. And that's attractive. You know, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Um, in fact, let's turn there. Let's read that. So turn with me to Hebrews. It's at the end of the New Testament, uh, chapter 10. It won't be on the screen. Don't, don't worry about it, Kelvin. I didn't make a slide for it. 
So Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And now I think sometimes we read that and, 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 and we go, okay, so I got to just be, I got to attend church. I got to, you know, I got to check some boxes here. And, but we don't attend church to check a box. We don't take attendance here like a school will. You know, you're, you get there and the professor will call out your name and, or your teacher will call out your, you know, and they'll, they'll take attendance every day and that'll maybe be part of your grade, whether or not you showed up. That's not what Hebrews is getting at. That's not what the author of Hebrews is getting at. He's not talking about checking a box. He's not talking about attendance for the sake of attendance. Because why does God command us to come together? Why is that a command? Well, because it's for our good. We're not supposed to be doing this alone. We need each other. We need the gifts that each other bring. We, we need to encourage one another. There's a lot of parents in the room. And I know that you all tell your kids, do this and don't do that. And I know your kids probably sometimes, if they're anything like me, they sometimes go, well, why? And, you know, you may or may not give them a reason. And if you do give them a reason, I remember my parents giving me plenty of reasons I didn't think were good. But I didn't think they were good because I didn't understand why. I didn't understand what was going on in, in their head. I didn't see everything that they saw. And in the same way, God gives us commands that we may not like sometimes. We may not see the purpose in it. We may not see why it matters that I need to be devoted to the gathering of believers. We may not see why that's a, why that's a big deal. But God does. If you have a charcoal fire, what happens to the coal if you pull one away from the rest of the fire? Sorry, it dies. Wow, that was more extreme than I was going to go. But it dies. <laughs> the fire goes out in it. It becomes cold and lifeless and crumbly. It dies. Well done. Do you want to come up here? No. <laughs> um, that's why God commands us to gather together. And I'm not talking about like, I get it. People travel, you go on summer vacations. That's... I don't think that's what God's getting at. He's getting at the heart behind it. You know, people get sick. It's okay to not come if you're sick. That's okay. But it's your heart behind it. Are you, are you avoiding the gathering because you're worried you might get your sin called out? That's one of the purposes we gather together. Not to, you know, compare performances but because sin leads to death. Um, I don't remember the exact references. I believe it's a little earlier in Hebrews than what we just read, but I, I believe it's chapter four, but the author of Hebrews warns against being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. It promises one thing and delivers a completely different thing. And so that's one of many reasons why God commands us to gather together. We need each other. We keep a watch on each other. We encourage one another, as Hebrews says. We come together to build each other up. And yes, to call each other out, to correct each other as there is need. But we come together because we're a family. Because <laughs> we, this is, our churches are supposed to, in some ways, reflect the fellowship we'll have in heaven. Of course, not perfectly. We're still sinful. We haven't, we don't fully understand even the things we read in, in the Bible yet. We see in a mirror dimly, but one day we'll see fully because we'll be face to face with God. Proverbs 18.1, I've found this to be very true in my own life. So <laughs> Proverbs 18.1 says, he who isolates himself. Well, you know what? I'm not going to try and quote it because now I, I'm going to, I'm going to read it. But I believe it says, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment. I believe that's what it says. You'll have to check me on that, but Proverbs 18.1. And I, I found that to be true in my own life. When there are times where I don't want to be called out on my sin, when I don't want other people to ask me what's going on, 
isolate myself. And I need, I need brothers and sisters to call me out on that and say, dude, what are you doing? Come repent, confess your sins and repent of them and come walk in the light. Come walk with us. I need that. And I, I'm sure you have all felt this in your lives as well. And I'm not talking again, I'm not talking about, Hey, every, every now and then you need some time for you. I'm not talking about an evening, you know, alone or something, but I am talking about pulling away from community, pulling away from your brothers and sisters. Lone wolf Christianity isn't a thing. We need each other. And so we see in Acts that they're, they're gathered together. They're devoted to one another. Well, they're devoted to God first and foremost, and they're devoted to one another. And oh, may that be true of us. I actually, I'm going to stop here and I'm going to pray for us. I want to pray that this would be true of us and then we'll keep going. God, may we be devoted to you and to your people. May that be true of Lachtofan. May you use us. May our love for one another be so evident and palpable that the world around us wants to experience that same thing. And God, we know that not everyone is going to like what we do. Not everyone will accept what we do. And that's okay. God, we serve you. We don't serve any other master. And so God, may Lofsoen be a church that is constantly gathering together, that we are in one another's lives. May we know each other. May we know what's going on. And may we encourage one another. May we consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. In Jesus' name, amen. Now turn with me to Matthew 18. So, because again, we're talking about, as we talk about fellowship, as we talk about doing life together, how is that to be characterized? We've talked about being devoted to God, devoted to one another, but being devoted to God and to one another is a lot of time spent together. And so I, I want to make the point that our fellowship needs to be characterized by forgiveness for one another. Now, I, I don't think I need to convince you that people are difficult, even Christians. So why, are, why is being in close proximity with people difficult? You can throw out any thoughts you have. Oh, come on. Why are people difficult? Amen. Different viewpoints. Sin in general. Yeah, we're sinful people. We're selfish people. We're proud people. We expect that things are going to go a certain way. And we expect that we're right in our thoughts about how those things should go. That was a bit of a convoluted sentence, but I think you know what I mean. Working with people is difficult. Living with people is difficult. Being married to a spouse is difficult. It's wonderful, but it's difficult. And if my wife were here, she would, I think she would agree for maybe different reasons than me, but, um, but we're selfish. We're sinful. We're proud. We want our own way. We were, we worship self. We don't worship God, not naturally. And so we're to be characterized by forgiveness. Now I jumped into all this without reading the texts I wanted to read. So um, in Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. So we're going to read this part in 15. I'm also going to read a parable, um, the, the parable in 18. It's a bit of a longer text, but I, you'll see where I'm going with this, I think. If your brother sins against you, this is verse 15 in chapter 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And now turn the page. Well, actually, I don't know what Bibles you have, but now skip down to verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 
and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We're a selfish, proud, sinful people and forgiveness does not come naturally to us. And so before I hit the first part of what we just read, I want to talk about this parable. The servant who owed his master 10,000 talents, 10,000 talents is like saying he owed him a billion dollars. It's an enormous sum of money. It's unpayable by the vast majority of people on this earth. I'm not sure what he did to accumulate such a debt, to be honest, but it's so big and so insurmountable that even his plea to, I will pay you back, that's not going to happen. And the master has pity on him and forgives him the debt. That's us in this story. We had an insurmountable debt towards God. Our sin, even one of them, creates an insurmountable debt to God. And God forgave us. And yet, we are often like this very same servant. Someone sins against us. And it's a minor thing in a lot of, in a lot of cases. It's a minor thing. But we hold it against them. We begin to choke them and say, pay what you owe. We're not quick to forgive. And so what I want to do is I want to remind us of how much we've been forgiven. We have been forgiven so very much. Can we not forgive our brothers and sisters their trespasses against us? When we remember the debt we have before the king, can we not be quick and able to forgive them? Because we know that our great debt has been, has been paid. And of course, forgiveness, when you forgive someone or when you are forgiven, that does not necessarily mean free from earthly consequences. Sometimes people think that because they're forgiven, that means they get off scot-free and God doesn't always protect us from earthly consequences. So I want to make that point. And especially, I mean, there are, unfortunately, every, every day it feels like there are more and more stories of pastors who have abused their authority and whether they've sexually abused women in their congregation or abused their power and authority, whatever it is, these men can be forgiven. Of course, the blood of Jesus is more than great enough and powerful enough to forgive these men. That doesn't mean they're immediately restored to their office though. That doesn't mean they should necessarily be trusted in certain situations at this time. It doesn't necessarily mean free from earthly consequences, but those men, if their hearts are truly saved before the Lord, if they've truly surrendered to Jesus, then they are free from the eternal consequences because Jesus paid it for them. And sometimes maybe to bring it down more to home, sometimes in relationships, trust is violated in some way, whatever that looks like. And you can be forgiven, but that doesn't always mean the relationship is restored back to where it was right away. That doesn't always happen right away. And God allows us to walk through and feel some of the consequences of our sin. But even though those are sometimes uncomfortable to go, to go through and to walk through and to experience, brothers and sisters, we've been saved from the eternal consequences of our sin. 
and we don't have to go through eternal separation from God. And I want to look back at Matthew uh, 18, verse 15, and I want to talk about church discipline. Everyone just got really excited. So I'm going to read those, those verses again. And, and the reason I want to talk about this and I wanted to establish forgiveness first is because this is the context. And I think church discipline is often very misunderstood. It's viewed as a hammer to be wielded. And that's not what it's intended to do. And so verse 15 of Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And so church discipline is something that we practice here at Lost On. Again, everyone just got really excited. What church am I in? Church discipline happens all the time, actually. If I sin against Daniel and he comes and tells me, that's church discipline. That's verse 15 right there. He comes to me and say, hey, dude, when you said that or when you treated me like that, that wasn't cool. That hurt. And Lord willing, I'd listen to him. Lord willing, I wouldn't go, well, hold on now. You don't understand. Hopefully I'd listen to him. That's church discipline. Maybe if my behavior towards Daniel continues, maybe he comes with, with Goodnut or with Kelvin or whoever. And if that happens, then I really hope I'd listen. I really hope I would pay attention at that point. And of course, this goes on and on to eventually, if my behavior is bad, I could be removed, both from my position within the church and my status of membership within the church, if I don't listen. But the point of all of this isn't to get me out. The point is that I'll repent. That's the hope and the aim. The aim of church discipline is restoration. And I'm sure you can all think of many examples where church discipline has been used very poorly. I can think of them as well. Jesus and the apostles were concerned about the misuse of authority as well. That's why they set up such high standards for their leaders. The point of church discipline is restoration. It's to bring people back into community and fellowship. That's why we go after members who wander. That's why we go after brothers and sisters who wander away, who maybe forsake the gathering or some other, some other sin. We go after them not to hit them over the head. We go because they're seeking, we're, we are seeking their restoration. We want them to be back in the fold with us. As we're going to see in Corinthians, we're all members of one body. If my hand gets up and walks away, that's a problem. But we don't think of it like that. That's the same way in a church. point of church discipline. I want to, and you're probably going, Elliot, you're repeating yourself, but I want to make this so abundantly clear. When a brother or sister comes to you and tells you your sin, well, I hope and pray that they would be doing it out of love. That is the aim of church discipline. Is that we would be restored to fellowship with one another and with God. That's why we do that. And lastly, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We've seen that our, you know, we devote ourselves to our relationship with God, to our relationship with one another. How is that relationship characterized so often? It needs to be characterized by forgiveness and grace towards one another because of how much we have been forgiven. And now we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 14. It says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. That's an interesting point. We'll come back to that. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? 
But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the part that lacked it. Amen. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Because if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I love that last verse 26 there. It just flies so much in the face of our individualism. Lone wolf Christianity doesn't hold up with if one member suffers, all suffer together. That, those are two incompatible ideas. And if one member is, member is honored, all rejoice together. Do we think of ourselves that way in the church? Do we think of ourselves as we are one body? I know we say that a lot, but do we, can, do we really think through that? If one of our members suffers, we all suffer. Do we believe that? Do we know that? I know for me, and this is something I'm still learning because I think of myself first. I think of my wife, maybe second. I think of the immediate people. I'm still growing. I'm still learning and that no, we are all members of one body together. We, the local church, we, the local church are one body, but also we, the Catholic church. And I say Catholic in the original intention of that word, the universal church body of believers. Remember God gave us the community of believers because the Christian life isn't meant to be done alone or in isolation. And so we are to walk in love towards one another. If you look just down a little further in 1 Corinthians 13, again, I know we hit this passage a lot, but this is really important. Starting in verse four, it says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude, and it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. In verse eight, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. But love doesn't. Galatians 6.2, and I, I know the youth group is going through that, so I don't know if you guys have gotten to Galatians 6 yet, but you will very soon, I think. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's a profound verse if you think about that. God cares deeply how we treat one another and how we relate to one another. God cares a lot about that. And love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And so if, if one member suffers and we all suffer together, how then can we go and bear each other's burdens. That should be our response. And how are we going to know if we're suffering? If one member is suffering or hurting or lacks something, we have to be together. We have to devote ourselves to spending time together. We can't know what's going on in other people's lives if we never see them, if we're never in touch with them. And I'm not saying, lest you go forth and say, Elliot said I have to be friends with everybody. Lest you go and say that. That's not what I'm saying. God did create us with limitations. But God created us with limitations. God created us to only be able to handle so much. We're not designed to have 3,000 Facebook friends. but we are designed for community. We are designed to be in fellowship with one another. And we're not gonna know what's going on in other people's lives and other people aren't gonna know what's going on in our lives 
if we're not open with them, if we're not working to build that trust. And that takes time to build. I didn't just walk up to Chris the first time I met him and told him everything about me. And he didn't do the same for me either because he had just met me and I had just met him. That kind of trust and relationship takes time. Takes work, takes effort. It takes the spending of time together, having people over for dinner, maybe playing a game together, going and exercising together, reading the word together, praying together, checking in on one another. Sometimes it's just a, chat, a text. Hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Sometimes that's all it takes. And you don't have to be this with everybody, but we do have a responsibility to one another to make sure we don't fall through the cracks. We bear with one another because Jesus bore our sins. We endure with one another because Jesus endured the cross and we hope all things because Jesus is risen. We forgive one another because Jesus forgave us. We devote ourselves to God because he's the only one worth devoting to. And in our devotion to God, that spills out into love for other people. And remember lastly in Acts, it says the last thing they devoted themselves to was to prayer. Prayer for God, prayer for one another. James 5.16, um, and I'm going to turn there because I want to make sure I read this one correctly. Um, James 5.16 talks about says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now we read this verse, I think for a lot of us that might make us uncomfortable. We start going, wait a minute, I have to, I have to, I have to be open. I have to like let people into the uncomfortable parts. Yes, you do. And I'm not saying you need to do that with everyone. It's worth building trust with people, but you do, who are you building that trust with? Who are you building that relationship with to where you can be open? And brothers and sisters, if someone is being open and honest with you about their sin, if they're confessing to you, odds are the Holy Spirit has already convicted them of their sin. They don't need you to hit them over the head with how bad their sin is. If they're confessing to you, the Holy Spirit's convicted them, they know. So what would it look like for us to say, yeah, thank you for telling me that. Can I pray with you? How, how can I help you out of this? Like, how can I help walk with you through this? Someone says, hey, I'm struggling with anger. Yeah, how can I help you in this? Is there, how can I encourage you in this? How can I bear your burden with you? We can get creative with that. There are so many different ways to do that. Whatever it is, whatever your brother and sister comes to you and says, I'm struggling with this. I've sinned in this way. I'm confessing this. I've confessed this to God and I've confessed this to you, my brother or my sister. How do we walk with people in that? We pray for one another. We bear each other's burdens. That's what community looks like. God gave us each other to help us through this life. And it might sound really spiritual to say, I don't need anyone, I've got God. God's like, yeah, but I, I literally gave you people. I created you for this. It's not wrong to say, I need the fellowship. I need the community. I need my brothers and sisters. That's not wrong. That's not sinful. That doesn't somehow make less of God. That actually is you leaning into what God has given you and what God has created you for. And so I want to end there and I want to end with some, some questions and some applications of what this might look like for us moving forward. So first of all, what would it look like for Lostohan to be devoted to the fellowship of believers? Who is someone that you could reach out to this week and connect with? Whether it's over a meal, whether it's just a phone call, whether it's coffee, whatever it is. I know in Iceland, it's weird to just hit people up and ask them for coffee, but we want to be the weird people who follow Jesus. So what would it look like 
Is there someone you could do that with this week? Someone you haven't done that with before, or maybe someone you haven't done that with in a while. Who is someone that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to pray for? Every time a pastor used to say that, someone would always come to mind and it was always really annoying. Who is someone the Holy Spirit is prompting you to pray for? Especially someone who maybe maybe isn't your favorite person. And maybe you could write down that person's name on a card or in your journal or however on your phone, however you keep track of things. Maybe you could write that down and, and keep track as you start to pray for them, see what God does in their life. And then you have this written record of God's activity and faithfulness, maybe in this person's life, or maybe as he restores a relationship between the two of you or, or something. I don't, I don't know. I don't know where, where you're at with every person, but on that note, is there someone you need to forgive? You know, we're going to spend some time praying here. Maybe during this time of prayer, maybe between you and God, you can thank Jesus for how much he's forgiven you. And then in your heart, you can extend forgiveness to that person and maybe go talk to them this week after service, maybe if there's someone in this room. You can thank Jesus for the forgiveness he's given you and you can let the Holy Spirit guide you towards a forgiven, a forgiveful, that's not a word, but you know what I mean? Forgiveful heart. And lastly, who and or what are you devoted to? Is it God or is it something else or someone else? Again, during this time of prayer, ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Ask him to convict you of any idols you're holding on to. Confess them, repent of them and turn from them. I'm going to pray. I'm going to close this in prayer now. And I'm going to open and you're welcome to pray whatever is on your heart. You're welcome to read any passage that's on your heart. I love it when people do that. I love hearing what God's been showing you this week. It's always so different than what God's been showing me. And I just, I think it's really cool. And so you guys can read, you can pray, you can pray silently if you want. But this is a time of prayer before we go into communion. And, you know, we take communion. We do this every week to remind ourselves of the sacrifice of Jesus, to remind ourselves specifically, Jesus actually had to go to the cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed because of us, because of our sinfulness. And that's why we do this every week. That's why we remind ourselves every week. So during this time of prayer, reflect on that. Thank God for that. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of any sins you need to repent of. We're all humans in here. So I promise you there's something. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of any idols you're holding on to. Confess them, repent them, repent of them and turn from them. And, and so we'll pray, we'll sing a song together. During that song, you guys are welcome to come up and, and take the elements. This is something we do. This is something that we do as believers. If you're not a believer in here, that means if you have not understood that you are a sinner in need of a savior, that you have not surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord, then it wouldn't be appropriate for you to take part in this. Um, and we would ask that you would not take part in this. Um, nobody's keeping track. Nobody's pointing fingers at you for not, for not taking part in this. But this is something we do as an act of praise and worship towards God, towards Jesus. And to do this without having surrendered to him would be a mockery of him. And so we would, we would ask you to not do that, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to leave it open for whoever else wants to join. And then we'll, we'll sing another song. And during that time, you can come and take the elements and then I'll come back after the end of that and lead us in, uh, in the taking of the elements. Heavenly Father, may we be a people known for our love for one another. May we be a people known for our forgiveness. May we be quick to forgive God because the mountain of debt that we have accumulated against you has been forgiven us. Because you were rich in mercy and in love you made a way for us to be right with you. You bridged to that chasm that our sin created with the cross. Jesus, thank you for crossing that. Thank you for making that way. Jesus, you 
are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through you. And we are so thankful for that. That is such a mercy on your part. God, we praise you that we cannot earn our way to you. We cannot earn our way to you, Father. What we do, what we say, what we think, God, none of it can ever be good enough to make ourselves right with you, to pay back the mountain of debt, the 10,000 talents that we owe you. And so God, may we be quick to forgive others. May we be quick to forgive others their trespasses against us. God, you take forgiveness so seriously because you have forgiven us so much. God, as your children, as your followers, as your people, may we be quick. May we be, just may it be easy for us to forgive. May we be quick to extend forgiveness. May we do so wisely and graciously. May we be known for our involvement in each other's lives. God, I pray for, for those who maybe feel a bit on the fringes. God, I pray that you would point them out to us in our hearts. God, I pray that we would bring them in, that we as one body would not let other members suffer in isolation. But God, may we bear their burdens. May we pray for them. May we love them. May we serve them. God, may we be known for our humble, loving service towards one another. And God, I thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for every member of Lost Alone. God, I just, I thank you for the people you've given to me personally. Thank you that you've given us to each other. Thank you that you give the body diverse gifts that we all may be built up, served and encouraged. May we be known for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kyrka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland.